Hey everybody, I'm Eric Tornberg, co-founder, partner, Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is an episode of Venture Stories, where we deep dive on topics relating to tech and business with some of the world's leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to Venture Stories by Village Global Podcast. I'm here today with some very special guests. Aaron Battalion, David King, and Vinny Lingham. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves, what you're working on, and where you're most excited right now in the crypto space. Yeah, hi. I'm David King, and I'm working on a bunch of different projects, mostly around kind of organizing communities of people and learning a lot about everything new that's going on. I think the kinds of things I'm most excited about are what's happening with the Lightning Networks on top of Bitcoin and all of the potential new innovation that could happen around around those technologies. Hey, I'm Vinny Lingham, uh, co-founder and CEO of Civic, a uh, blockchain-based identity platform. We also just announced uh, Identity.com, which is our marketplace for ID verification. Um, I also happen to be a general partner at Multicoin Capital. It's a crypto hedge fund, um, along with you know, Carl uh, Samani and Tushar Jain. And um, I'm a co-founder and partner at Newtown Partners with, with Luke Larson, and that's basically a, a token economy design company, I would say, and you know, a bit of early stage investing as well. And what topic in the broader crypto landscape is most top of mind for you? Or are you most thinking about? Or trying to solve, or, or sort of outside of civic. Like outside of civic, I think the, the big the big question is how does all the printed money work? You know, how does how does like all these ICOs fund this total economy and keep everything running? And 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 quite frankly, what the failure rate is going to be like? I mean, I think it's going to be closer to ninety five percent, but it could be eighty. I'm more on the bearish side and saying I think only five percent of the ICO companies will be around in the next two three years, if if that, <laughs> if that. Hey, I'm Aaron Battalion, was partner at Lightspeed, now venture partner, just left to start a new company. Before that, co-founder, CTO, Living Social. I think I'm interested in a bunch of different things. One is sort of the macro geopolitical impacts to crypto and how that changes how fiat moves to digital fiat around the world, what the governments do, what the large companies do. I think separately as a as an engineer, the sort of Web3 stack that has been talked about recently is very is very young and very brittle and needs a lot of love, both to bring engineers and entrepreneurs into the sector, but also just to make it easier to build things. And I'll agree with you, Vinny, 99% of ICOs will fail. But that is expected. Anyone who isn't expecting that, I think, is just hasn't lived through it the last tech bubble. So let's start macro a little bit. It's uh, It's been 10 years. What have we accomplished or what have we not accomplished? What's the state of the industry today? And what are your guys' opinion relative to others' opinion or sort of you know, uh, consensus opinion on the topic? I'll go. So I'll continue my, my train of thought here because I think it's an interesting, interesting sort of scenario. We, in the past year, I think we've seen a lot of greed emerge throughout the industry. Anyone who's been in this industry for a long time, you know, we go through these cycles, but I've never seen the levels of what I saw six months ago. And that's just you know, by virtue of the fact that people messaging me, how do I buy this? How do I buy that? Where do I get Bitcoins from, et cetera? And that, you know, for like three or four years of five years of tolling through like bear markets and, you know, like semi bubbles, as you'd call them. Uh, I think it was very interesting to see how no one actually cared about the crypto space. And it's coming back to that point right now. No one cares anymore, right? The money's disappeared. So like, I've got no one pinging me anymore about, I mean, from outside the industry. No, like, 
I had friends who I hadn't seen since high school pinging me six months ago saying, how do I buy crypto? How do I get this going? So, um, I think the, the, the shyness had been taken off. So, so I spent a lot of time thinking and, and, and obviously I have a lot of exposure to crypto deals and, and, and seeing what works, what doesn't work. And scaling is a big issue right now. So you got two sides of the equation. You got, you know, things like Ethereum, which is struggling to scale, but it has a lot of activity on the platform to things that have infinite amount of scale potential, but no activity on the platform. So it's this weird scenario where it's, it's why scale isn't the right question right now. Yeah. Exactly. Like it, the right question Utility. is getting things people want to use. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Like Utility. we need people to care about this and we don't need the news to care about it. We don't need to see it on CNN because this sector got hyped before it deserved it. Absolutely. And that's what happened in I agree. December. I, I wrote a blog post a year ago about saying, trying to prevent the next Bitcoin bubble and everyone's laughed at me afterwards. Uh, uh, people were laughing at me all the way until December 22nd. And then all of a sudden, people this year stopped saying, uh, like, literally, they, they, you should see the tweets and stuff. Oh, Vinny, you're still trying to prevent this bubble. This is not a bubble. This is real. I'm like, oh, God, I wrote a post trying to explain this is what's going to happen. And now that we're in the eye of the storm, you're going, everything's fine. And now we're in back in, okay, this is what happens post-bubble. So I don't, I don't know that we're really post-bubble, though. I just – the whole sector got pressed before it deserved it. Yeah. I do think this technology is probably the one of the most important at its core of the last decade. But we don't deserve to tell anyone about it yet because no one uses it for much. And and that's why I go back to the scaling debate. The The hardest thing to scale as an engineer is the thing you don't understand the use cases for. The easiest thing to scale is when the use cases are clear. So when we understand what high volume usage looks like on technologies like this, we will build custom solutions to solve for those problems. The solutions will be apparent. We will solve them quickly. And users will go back to well, what about getting, getting what they want. It looks like CryptoKitties. It's not CryptoKitties. Now, I, I love crypto goods. I think it's important. I think someone said it got another million people to care about crypto because it opened up the spectrum of what's possible on these platforms. That's a great thing for CryptoKitties. No one's really using CryptoKitties. Like, what? Well, look at Augur. Augur, to open up a market, takes 40% of an Ethereum block. But <laughs> it's just one market. How nuts is that? The amount of gas to But it's used. still, there's still no people using it. So none of this yeah, shit sure. matters. But, the but, internet web scale, I hate that fucking word web scale, but that's tens of millions, hundreds of millions, billions of people. I think the, the way you scale on the web, everything that's ever scaled on the web first causes a problem with scaling at a small scale and then it does the next unstick and then it solves some more and then it doesn't That's, that's how you should so you sort of design like, things. Like if you pre-optimize, you're wrong. Right. Each order of magnitude requires additional work to like yes. figure it out. Actually, oftentimes it's restructuring, which is probably not going to happen as much in decentralized systems as it happens in centralized systems. We're seeing the Ethereum team try to like reinvent the protocol out in the open right now. Sure. So, yeah. so it is happening. But yeah, there's attempts. If you're engineering a platform, you don't want to over-optimize it yeah. because you're wasting a bunch of time. You want to just you... do something that works and then cause a problem with scaling where yeah, people are actually using it and then fix that one yeah. to get to just one more optimize order of magnitude. Well, sometimes in, in the real world, you kick the can down the road and you incur some technical debt, which you pay off later on. But in decentralized systems, no one wants to incur technical debt. See, this is one of the issues with with, de- with decentralized-based engineering projects is that everyone wants to go for the idealistic solution because there's always a fringe of people who, you know, under the right circumstances would never want to incur any technical debt. You know, It's impossible. But that's what happens. It's literally a situation where they refuse to do it. They said, no, 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 let's be idealistic about it. Let's go and solve this problem the right way because there's no timelines. There's no – Yeah, there's no urgency. There's no urgency. There's Because no, there's no users. <laughs> no, no, no. Even if there's users. I mean, Bitcoin's an example, right? The blocks are full. You could 
should increase the block size to two megabytes without uh, centralizing the system. Everyone agrees one to two would not centralize Bitcoin. Okay, and you could actually probably roll it back later on as well. But that seems like, well, it's an imperfect solution. It's kicking the can down the road. You know, let's be more idealistic about it. Are you a Bitcoin Cash guy? I'm not an anything guy. I'm like a, I'm a practical guy. <laughs> and sometimes I just don't like impractical solutions. The, the immutability of at least the contracts as developers are building things on Ethereum is driving lots of teams back to historically bad software engineering practices. Things like waterfall. Yeah. Things like we have to spend 10 years building it with 100 people because it has to be perfect because we can never change it. So we have to get it right on the first go. That's essentially we've proven through decades of software engineering that that's. Yeah, I think that that begets like navel gazing, right? Like if you don't have a use case and you don't have a user who cares about it or a customer who cares, then you can actually say, let's just polish and navel gaze versus actually deliver something because there's nobody but, who actually wants the thing that they're building. But no, the no, problem everyone, with trust. Everyone wants to be patient. So the whole the one thing you'll learn from the, like, the most hardcore people in, in Bitcoin land will say Rome wasn't built in a day. We've got infinite amount of time to do this. But that basically presupposes that no one will compete. So so the one belief that I think everyone, all the Bitcoin maximums hold, and I used to be in Bitcoin maximums, was that Bitcoin will be used by everyone in the world. It will be the dominant currency that nothing else will survive. And therefore, we should engineer towards a system that is that system. In the world of software engineering, commercial world, you know, at least, we look for you know data to substantiate beliefs, right? So you look at proving out certain hypotheses. But in religions, we have outcomes. <laughs> Right, so the religious belief is that this will be the one that wins overall, and therefore it doesn't matter. Let's make sure we idealistically engineer it to be the perfect system at, at the end state. And in the real world, it's like, well, what happens if it doesn't? What happens if competition beats it? What happens if it just fragments? What happens if we have a world where some people disagree with the philosophy then that you have you know, multiple coins? But that's just not a world that, that Bitcoin Maximus seek that can't possibly exist. It's Bitcoin or nothing, which I think is kind of an extreme view. And I don't think it's going to be the view that actually prevails. So maybe that's a good segue into what else could happen in the next decade that would prevent Bitcoin from being the chosen. And I th- I think a couple interesting things are some of what's coming out of China, some of what's coming out of the big tech companies, the folks who have billions of users already. We say that sort of China and India are the two largest countries in the world, but I would argue there is one larger. And it's called Facebook because it has two and a half billion citizens that use it every month that they're able to influence. We've saw at least that with the US election recently. So if companies like Facebook or countries like a China to forcefully deploy this to all their user bases. I don't think Bitcoin has, has but, a chance. But what is, what is forcefully deploy? Is it forcefully deploy a Facebook coin? A mechanism, it- a mechanism to exchange value. And I would argue the customer doesn't really care what it is inside because you don't know how email works. It's exchange value. So you're, you're really focused then on like a specific payment use case as so an important to, one. To, to do one. anything for two and a half billion people or many billions of people that live on the planet, you have to focus on exchange of value. There's, there's a barbell thesis in product development, at least mine in crypto, is that the ultra wealthy want store of value. And if you solve for the truly wealthiest 0.001% of the population, you'll build solutions that matter that will then trickle down for everyone else. But if you want to reach the world and get billions of people to use crypto, store value is not the solution. It's I agree. Exchange of value. I'm saying that. So, so let's take a world where let's, – let's picture a, a, a hypothetical world where we create another earth. And we put everyone on it, okay? Give them literally just the shirts on their back, no houses, nothing, no industry, right? And you give them all an equal amount of money. What's that money worth? Let's say you gave them 21 million Bitcoins between all these people. If they cannot buy houses, cars, goods, services, 
that money is worthless. Money is only worth something in the exchange of money for value. So the store of value hypothesis really means I'm able to store the, the, the future purchasing power of this money as a unit of account in exchange for goods and services. So store of value as a hypothesis by itself doesn't work unless there's a willingness or an ability to exchange it for, for goods and services. Now, I, I would disagree. I'm, I'm a little bit more of the Austrian school here, where I think the value that has happened in the world, things like gold or things like fiat even, or debt exchange instruments, always come from people having relationships and exchanging those relationships and trading those exchanges. So I think if you don't, if you want to build something that competes with the Visa network, like it's really tough because Visa is very, very good at doing that. If you want to build something new, I think the best place to start is create censorship resistant, non-monetary store value. If you have that, that's something new that the world doesn't have in the form of Visa and doesn't have in the form of gold. How many billion people don't have a Visa card? On the planet. Well, how many of those people are choosing to use a crypto technology instead? But, but <laughs> not the same number. Okay. But all those people are using Facebook. But, but, but let's just go back to my Earth Two example, right? In, in my Earth Two example, yeah. what's that money worth? That's if if you question. can't swap it for anything, is it worth anything? If it has no exchange of value, I, I, I don't even understand what the hypothesis. No, but he's is. saying it's, one is is a prerequisite for the other. Yeah, I, I think that something that people value is something that can then be used to exchange value, but you don't gain value by exchanging. You gain value by caring about it, by having a limited supply, by holding it. Yeah, belief. Yeah, it's just totally religion. How do you get the belief that has value? You just, through a monetization process, how do religions emerge? I like extrapolation, because extrapolation really helps you solve, or at least understand the problem you're trying to solve. So now we have this Earth 2, and you have 21 million, you know, let's call it A-coins, okay, for, for, for... so we'll call it A coins and I'll skip B and use C coins. Okay. So, so there's a billion people that have a billion A coins and there is no way to spend these coins. There's, there's, there's no way you can buy anything with it. Right. The only way you get food in that society is by, I don't know, picking a banana off the tree for yourself. Okay. So let's go very, very back to the old days. Bear, bear with me. Now those billion people get given a C coin. Okay. And there's one merchant out there that sells an unlimited supply of bananas. Would you agree that C and he only accepts C coins? Would you agree that C coin has value and A coin does? I don't understand this. Ex- <laughs> I don't understand Earth two. But it's it's, it's it's extrapolation. Is exchange of value a prerequisite to believe it has? I think we should move off this topic because I don't think we're going to get anywhere. How do, what do you, why do you disagree with that? Like, what's the crux of the disagreement? The crux is that I believe that belief begets belief, and it's circular and unfortunate that that's the case. But you have to accept that if you accept. Do you believe? But do you believe that's that's religious and not scientific? Yeah, it's religious. I think that money is religious. That's fine. Yeah. Why, why do you reject the exchange value thesis? I think that it's not effective to start monetization via an exchange of value because we already have really good tools for exchanging value, and there's plenty of people in the world who don't have good tools for exchanging value, but they're not the ones who are spending their time trying to exchange value with crypto. Like people who are using crypto are sort of trying to fake exchange value and prove that it works in, in crypto, even though it's not really that important yet. Maybe someday it will be, but I think the only way you get this started is by a shared delusional belief that's more of a religious thing. Okay, so it makes sense that, that you believe that people need to be delusional in order for your thesis to work. Yeah, exactly. the same way we're delusional about U.S. dollars or whatever. Yeah, we're, we all have to share this delusion together. Okay, so I refuse to share the delusion, which is fine. I mean, you walk through a little bit your evolution. You mentioned you were a Bitcoin maximalist. Perhaps now you're more a pluralist. I, I, I was a Bitcoin maximalist at the time where I think that Bitcoin was the best form of 
a cryptocurrency, a money, a blockchain platform. And to a large extent, I still believe it is the most secure out there. So it has some attributes which makes it uh, reliable. I mean, we built Civic using native blockchain technology from Bitcoin, right? So it's built on Bitcoin. And at the time, Ethereum wasn't around. We started the company, etc. So we we went all in on that. But you know, as time has progressed, one well, you know, there's obviously concerns around scaling, etc. You know, then there's been this. Uh, influx of all these other ICOs and companies out there and people doing amazing things and some most of it's gonna fail. But the, the the notion that we will get everyone to agree on a single currency for the world, it's kind of like I don't buy that anymore because just by virtue of the fact that most of the Bitcoin is controlled by a thousand wallets right now, if Bitcoin wound up being the most valuable currency in the world, you would have you wouldn't have a one percent problem. You'd have a zero point zero 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 one percent problem where the wealth of the world is trapped in a thousand wallets, which is a big big concern, right? How do we? How does it? How does it change over time? And especially with the hoarding mentality, that you know, it just it makes this thing worse. Worse. So look. I still have Bitcoin. I'm, I still think that it's an important part of the ecosystem. I just don't think that we can live in a world where we think that Bitcoin is the only, will be the only survivor and will have a hundred percent market share. I just don't think that's practical. Okay. So, so, so let's look at, let's look at some of the, the issues in the, in the ICO world right now. Okay. One of the biggest issues is that a lot. So first of all, reporters tend to be, you know, either economically illiterate or intentionally deceptive. We like some of them too. <laughs> no, no, I, like, you know, we, we, I'm saying when they put false headlines up, it's either one of those two. Okay. If the, if the headline is true and accurate, then it's fine. But sure. So the, the biggest, the biggest lie we've been telling everyone is how much money all these ICOs have raised. Seven, ten billion dollars, fifteen billion dollars, whatever the number is. They haven't raised that money. They've raised that amount and in crypto at the respective time that they did the ICO. If they want to liquidate, if you, if, if let's assume that half of that wasn't sold or two thirds wasn't sold, which is kind of the case if you're tracking the wallets, when they want to liquidate that money into real money to pay the bills, it puts a lot of selling pressure on the crypto. So it's literally the first guys who get out, push the price down for the next guys, et cetera. Eventually you have this like decompression in the crypto prices and that flows into Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera. All the major ones, because Bitcoin and Ethereum are the two largest, most liquid cryptocurrencies. So as much as all the Bitcoin maximums were excited about, you know, Bitcoin going up, they didn't realize a lot of the, it going up was partially due to do with fiat coming in to buy these, buy cryptos for ICOs, but also to do with a lot of these, these ICOs taking their shit coins, quite frankly, and, and trading them for Bitcoins to acquire more Bitcoins. So a lot of these scams out there, etc. That's kind of disappeared now because the fervor has died down. So now you're in a decompression phase. So what happens is a lot of the ICO companies are, and, and again, I have access to data with tracking wallets or what's available. A lot of the wallets are still sitting on crypto. But guess what? The people working in these companies earn and live on dollars. So they suddenly get paid in crypto, but they still have to pay their rent in dollars. So if you do a, if you do the math around this, okay, there's roughly 5,000 crypto companies worldwide operating at zero profits. In other words, negative, negative cash flow. 5,000 companies with an average of, I'd say a minimum average of 10 people per company for what we can see. 50,000 people. And if you look at salaries in, in crypto, and let's just be really conservative again. A hundred thousand dollars a year sounds like a low end for what some of the I mean, Lambos cost a lot more, right? So, so, so a hundred thousand dollar a year salaries for for these people. Obviously, look, you take out exchanges because they obviously make profits, and, and conference organizers they make profits, but everyone else is not making profits. You've got a situation where there's literally six hundred to seven hundred million dollars of fiat demand required by the burgeoning crypto ecosystem to keep all these projects funded, all these companies operating and paying the bills. Landlords don't take crypto. 
Okay, <laughs> they just don't. So you've got to pay your bills in in, in your native fiat currency, and, and ultimately the USD pairing is the number one liquidity pool for Bitcoin and Ethereum. So why is that important? In the last bear market, the biggest issue was you know in crypto really was the cost of mining, right? Obviously there was some selling pressure, etc. But the cost of mining was a big problem because as the crypto price dropped, miners had to sell more and more of their of their uh, because back then they couldn't. It was hard to finance you know mining equipment, etc. And there wasn't as much infrastructure. But that was a big issue. Today, the salary and overhead costs of the crypto economy is now more than two times the cost of two times what Bitcoin miners are selling their coins at. So in other words, if you look at Bitcoin miners selling roughly 70% of the coins mined per day to pay the bills, because you assume a 30% profit margin even at the current levels. The amount of money that's being, that, that the crypto economy costs right now to run its operations is double that. That's so you look just at because all like, these teams shouldn't exist. Though. That's exactly right. So they printed fake money. They printed fake money. There's a lot of great engineers out there, but yeah. a lot of projects that just so took how is this all going to shake out? So, so, so right now we're looking at seven hundred million dollars of crypto of, of fiat demand just as a baseline, just so there's equilibrium in terms of of net buyers versus sellers. So the question is. Are there more than $700 million worth of buyers coming into crypto every month just to neutralize the sellers so we go sideways, okay? And for the price to go up, it needs to go to $1 billion, $1.2, $1.5, whatever it is. And the problem is, as the price slides down further and further, you have to sell more crypto. You have to sell more BTC, more Ethereum, more whatever coins to get the same amount of USD out. So you get into a downward spiral until you get an equilibrium point. I don't know what the equilibrium point is. It could be 5,000, it could be 5,500, it could be 6,000, it could be 3,000. We don't know. We just have no, we don't have the data for this. But until we get to that equilibrium point, the crypto market is going to keep sliding down. And when we find that point, we'll know it, it should be, my guess is around probably three or 4,000. But you know, this is one, one factor. thing that this could one impact factor. the price. This is one factor. Totally. Aaron, you think there need, instead of focusing on scalability or in addition to, we need to focus on building things people want effectively, right? Yes. And yes. what are, you know, you said CryptoKitties is sort of an example, but you're not super bullish on digital goods. I, no, I didn't say I wasn't super bullish on digital goods. I, I think that concept matters. I think digital goods have proven to make hundreds of millions of billions of dollars. If you look at the company selling digital goods today, so it is a real marketplace on a global scale. We don't have good mechanisms to get these new kinds of crypto goods into people's hands so that they want them. That is the problem. So whether that is first-class native support for crypto wallets in all the mobile browsers, whether that's new app stores across. The challenge right now is that there's a very f- small group of tech companies that control essentially all information flow, all application flow, all advertising flow on the internet. And the crypto community does not want the platform lock-in and therefore is not leveraging those platforms to get reach. I think there will be a new wave of entrepreneur who realizes that it's very hard to start from scratch right now on the internet and you need to leverage platforms and then leave. So you're saying people don't build things because they don't want to leverage Google and Facebook? No, they, they're not thinking about users first right now. They're thinking about technology first. And I think as the underlying tools mature, the type of entrepreneur who's interested changes and that new entrepreneur is more interested in not just raising money for some white paper or very deeply technical building some infrastructure component, but they're building an application people use. I just don't think we're there yet. And when that occurred, the prerequisite for that to occur is better tools. I think the prerequisite is an actual crash in the crypto markets. Because I, I, I don't think people, it's related. I, I, don't I know think, people who would be building great user hypotheses, but they say, well, there's some easy financing mechanism over here. Let's pursue that first. Then once we have 
our war chest, we can go build a bunch of product deposits over the next. That's called fraudulent uh, behavior. Well, it's like lying to your investors, is what no, you just described. No, that's not. That's not fraudulent. It's saying, should I spend my time building a thing, one thing that actually matters to an end user, or should I go finance so that I can build a hundred potential things that matter? And you can be really transparent with an investor about that. It's not how most of the ICOs were raised. They were almost all raised on but a I'm single saying, idea. I think, I think that the single idea, like uh, we're building. Right. But I think that ultimately any company is really a portfolio of ideas or a portfolio of bets. That's the reality, yeah. but that's not how the money no, was raised. No, 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 but that, that's, that, that's at the later stage, I tend to agree with you. Big companies like Alphabet, Amazon, that's a portfolio of ideas. Yeah. But startups and ICOs tend to be single focused but ideas. Mo- most companies do iterate through a few ideas before they find anyway, one that my, my works. Anyway, my point is the financing zero. mechanisms of today are causing a lot of distraction from actually focusing on building end-user products and applications and things that people care about. The I think that's that's actually much more problematic than tooling. The, the latter is also held up by the lack of distribution. Like, for example, I was an early developer on the Facebook platform. That, when it launched in 07 was the best, fastest, easiest way to build social applications and acquire millions of users. We got to 100 million users. I was right with you. Like, I remember. We don't have that for crypto. We We don't have an app store. We don't have a Facebook platform with a news feed. We're missing that today. My question, and which I don't think we know the answer to, will that get built by a Facebook or will some new product get built that acquires enough users? I think products are going to be innovative on an axis that really matters. And that's going to be so different that people are going to flock to the product because they just can't have that experience on Facebook or Google or on any existing services. I'm not saying rebuild a crypto Facebook. I'm saying the distribution platforms for ideas, whether those ideas are applications, news, content, anything. No, I think mostly controlled on the internet by like five it, for, for media. But like if you, if you look at something like, like the invention and widespread distribution of GPS in everybody's pocket enabled a company like Uber to exist. And they didn't really need to rely on distribution of Google or Facebook. Yeah, they, they do. They absolutely do. Where do you do. think they get that? Where do they the app get downloaded from? Centralized app store. Where do you think the apps come from? Phone you book. Don't, you, you don't use Graph. it on your browser. Your who, I don't know who uses Uber on a Safari mobile browser. Are we, we're talking about something different. We're talking about... No, we're not. It's the same I, thing. I, I think I'm saying something similar, but let me explain. So something like an Uber. I think the beauty of crypto is that we never knew an Uber could exist when we first saw the iPhone. Like we saw the iPhone and it had a GPS in it. We even saw an app store six or nine months later. We never knew the possibility of an Uber-like opportunity could exist. I think that same possibility is true in the crypto land. But the way that applications today are distributed, they're distributed on proprietary networks because of the fear of the sort of platform lock-in. I think what the successful companies will find is it's some hybrid. Here's my question to you guys. The nice segue. Request for, for startups, request for products for entrepreneurs out there, engineers out there who want to build something in the space. And maybe, Vinny, if you weren't building Civic right now, how would you be evaluating opportunities to build companies in space? Aaron, you are thinking of building companies in space. David, you too. How are you, how are you guys thinking about it? Aaron, do you maybe want to? Sure. I think the tooling infrastructure pieces of this, I think the Web3 stack thing that your multi-coin crew put together was good. In 2007 and eight, the last time I built a company, there was no SendGrid, there was no MixPanel, there was no all those things. We had to build all those services internally that took time that we then leveraged the go build consumer-facing apps. We're missing a lot of infrastructure right now, so that matters. 
I think that's a prerequisite. And I think the combination of better tooling, better services, plus distribution will bring a new set of entrepreneurs to this space and therefore bring a new set of apps. For me, it's, it was, it's very simple. Like I've been looking at this for obviously a long time. I invested in 2014 in a number of companies and that was in the middle of the downturn. Uh, one of them was, I was one of the first, I think, five investors or three or four investors in Filecoin. Protocol Labs, IPFS. And that's because at the time, that's part of the Web3 stack. Like literally, uh, it was very clear that we haven't solved the decentralization of data problem and, and the censorship. So you look at what, what, what IPFS did recently with, or last year with uh, Wikipedia. You couldn't access, access Wikipedia in Turkey and they go, oh, here we go. Now it's an IPFS. And so we're still early days. I mean, IPFS is not a, it's not a mature protocol yet. It's a long way to go. Everyone's trying to use it. It's really great. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be huge, but. We are early, early days. And this is the problem right now. Like the media has come in and given the sector way more attention than it deserves. It's way too early on. And unfortunately, we, you know, we're hitting skating limits right now, which hope, you know, we shouldn't need to hit because like a lot of the, the, the result of needing to scale isn't from real world activity and usage. It's from trading. Okay. The number one use case in crypto right now is trading and therefore it's high volume. Everyone wants to move coins around from exchange to exchange. There's no real utility. Now, again, there are a few places. Like, for example, I'll be of any machine was one way you actually are using a smart contract and you're executing and you're getting a beer. <laughs> I, I, no, it's not a plug. It's like you want to talk about utility and companies focusing on real world utility and use cases. Like Civic is doing that. That's our, like, we are very practical grounded about what we're doing. So when we look at vending machines and crypto and smart contracts, like, think about it this way. Would you go to a vending machine where you have to scan your driver's license, take a selfie, give the vending machine operator your your, your driver's license, pay? There'll be a two dollar charge for verifying the information. No, right? And with us, uh, with users, they don't even know they're using blockchain for this stuff. As far as they're concerned, like you know, we don't know how the Visa network they works don't need either. To know, but they so don't it's need the same to know. thing. It's the same thing. So, so the companies I tend to sort of invest in and work with are ones that can can basically use blockchain technology in a way that consumers don't need to know it, and and there's a real utility for them around that. I think it's also important to call out that when we say blockchain or crypto, it's so vast in the ways it can touch society. We need to stop using those words. We need to actually talk about the subsectors and areas that we're referring to because yeah, smart contracts. It means too much to yeah. too many people, and it's confusing. To so draw out those those subsectors. Sure. That. Theoretically, if you redefine how value is exchanged, if you redefine how trust is obtained amongst disparate groups of people, if you redefine how value is stored, it touches everything literally. So that's we can't use these words anymore to describe all of it because it means too much. Yeah. So new things? Yeah. So what do you want to see people build? I I feel like there's a lot of opportunities in in taking the censorship resistant secure network that we have in Bitcoin and then building things on top of it. So I think, you know, I think there's a lot of ideology around, hey, every because Bitcoin and the money is is decentralized, therefore everything else should be decentralized. And I think even making the money decentralized to work well is extremely challenging, but I think they're off to a great start. But then I almost would say, why don't we centralize everything else and actually have customer service and actually have like product experiences that work for people? And let's build those on top of a set of rails that is decentralized. So the money is decentralized, but the applications where we use that money may not be. So I like... I like a lot of the stuff, like there's a developer named Alec Bosworth who has built a bunch of hack projects around the Lightning Network. I think that's like an amazing set of hypotheses and experiences of like what the future could look like. And I would love to see, you know, hundreds of Alex Bosworths out there 
innovating and experimenting, you know, just it's like hypothesis testing. It's something that I can use and then I can try it and see if I like it and see if I want to share it with my friends or use it with other people. So I, I'm really excited about like, let's keep the money decentralized. Let's actually centralize all of the services that we need and not get too caught up in the fact that the ideology of money decentralization doesn't necessarily apply to the other things in the space. And then let's build great end user experiences where people can touch and play with and use things. And what's the, the counter to you just said, what you just said about centralizing the applications on top of it? Is it that we'll still have, you know, we'll just... It's back to trust. So like if, if you believe that only innovation here is trust, then, or the, the change in how we can trust people, then all the code has to be immutable and out in the open so that it can be trusted. Because as soon as you've centralized some piece of it, then you have control. But I think and you can money rewrite. should be trustless. I think we're talking about use cases which we don't yet understand, like the Uber example when the iPhone had just come out. So we don't know what those things are. I think pieces of them may require additional trust. Pieces of certain use cases are need trust in more than money. Yeah. Like there, there could be something like a need for a notary republic, right? Like a notary republic that might want to store information to complete a transaction. Crypto goods are a good example. You want to know who owns something, which is not necessarily the exchange of money. It's the exchange of a thing. That's another great example that it should be out in the open. It should be trusted in a central public registry. But I don't think we know what the next set of use cases are. And I don't predict that I'm going to know. I'm more saying that's the area where I think the innovation, that's sort of like what it should smell like or look like. I suspect, like you could have a bunch of different hypotheses, but that's the stuff that that takes most of my attention these days and where I I spend more of my time and thinking and discussion. I want to say sort of a subsector within within the space, and I want you guys to say, where you see the opportunities to build something interesting are or, or what intrigues you about space or perhaps you think it's overrated or, or not needed. And I'll start with privacy coins. I, I, I'm, I'm bearish on privacy coins. I, I, I think that... Because Bitcoin will become the privacy coin? Or... No, it's not that. It's that. I think that you've already seen like the secret service already getting uh, the backs up about it. So, so the reason Bitcoin has value and cryptocurrencies have value is that they are fiat on-ramps for these... Uh, yeah, on the buy side, right? The ability to buy Bitcoin over the past five years has, has improved dramatically. There's more, there's more exchanges offer it, more places you can buy it, etc. Authorities have been very light-handed. As much as the Bitcoin sort of world hates governments or else, they've actually been pretty, I'd say, even-handed in making sure that Bitcoin is available and people can trade it and stuff. They, you know, the the notion that Bitcoin will take over the world and because governments keep printing money is kind of a, I think it's a red herring and it's a great narrative. The the reality is that governments will respond. So if it gets to a point where their currencies are being attacked because, but because you know, it, it, for example, if you keep printing currency and Bitcoin is gaining on you, I think that you'll actually get to a point where the governments start reacting and say, well, maybe we'll print, we just won't print money quickly. Maybe we'll start controlling inflation a bit more. Maybe we will be more responsible. That'd so, be an amazing so, win so, for the world. <laughs> then the Bitcoin thesis dies. At that Great. Point. So Bitcoin fails, but the whole world's monetary right. policy is fixed. I love that future. Let's make it happen. There's a bit of reflexivity in how the world works. It's not as if you see impending doom and you just let it, you know, you, you react to it. So I think when we look at, uh, when we look at the, the world from that perspective, privacy coins are one where governments are saying, hang on a second, this is, we are, you know, block, you know, they, they tracked a whole bunch of Russian guys with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is for, for purposes of good usage. It's trackable and people are happy with it and it's, it's conforming to AML regulations, et cetera, to a large extent. And so the governments feel comfortable that they can control, at least they can at least find the bad actors in the Bitcoin world. But if good actors are using Bitcoin, it's okay. 
Privacy coins is a whole different game. If they, you know, the, the value of privacy coins get diminished greatly the moment governments say, okay, first of all, you know, all these exchanges, if you're running a privacy coin, we're going to get lots so, straight to it. There's two different things going on here. Do you believe that people should have seizure resistant and censorship resistant value that they can store? If you think of people escaping the Holocaust, the variety of Holocausts that have happened throughout the last hundred years around the world, should those people have been out able to keep the value that they had in their families and their communities? The answer is probably yes. So in the Western world, we struggle with why you need privacy coins. The, the true private, private nature of these coins is TBD to me. It's unclear if anything we've seen yet is truly seizure resistant. We know government agencies are capable of tracking transactions and identifying wallets. Like if anything, the two major cryptocurrencies are the biggest destruction of privacy on the internet, not adding any privacy to the internet. So I think the need is there. I want the, that to exist. I just am unsure of the current solution. Uh, I just think that if you think about privacy coins being used for nefarious purposes, the reasons that people would do that, uh, it's a very small subsection of the world economy. So if you look at bad actors – they're a small part of the world economy. The majority of the world is actually, I think, pretty good. Isn't there a rumor that like if you have a $100 bill, there are traces of cocaine on it? Yeah, yeah. But it's the but, same concept. Yeah. Is that but, 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 dollars have been used for bad things But that's, not, that's not my, my – my point is the value that accrues to a cryptocurrency is largely as a function of global demand for that cryptocurrency. Right, and if the global demand for for these things is, is limited to to for for privacy coins is limited to a subsector of sort of the bad actors, and they get get attacked, then, then then the net value of those coins goes down. The examples I used earlier had nothing to do with bad actors, so I I don't I think there are good people that want privacy coins to exist. Lightning round. <laughs> that was a slow first lightning round. Go, Eric. But I'll, I'll make a point. I, I think it was Zcash. I looked at the, the example of it. Like only 10% of the transactions are shielded. So 90% of the transactions it's are not shielded by default. It's okay, all no, that's design. my point. That's exactly my point. People are not using this as a privacy coin. They're using it for trading. So, so, so 90% speculation, speculation, 10% actual usage. So I again, want it to exist. Again, I, I don't, don't get me wrong. I think it's actually important that it, it, it comes in somehow to the ecosystem, but I can't see how it by in and of itself, privacy coins are valuable to society if it's being, if the primary purpose is to avoid not seizure, but to commit nefarious activities. Stable coins. I think a global internet first mechanism to exchange value is important. And in order to have that, we need to understand what it's worth. And therefore, stay, the concept of a coin that is stable in price is important. I expect to see governments issue digital fiats, as well as companies that some of which we invested in at, at Lightspeed, try to push these across the world. Because the, the need is there. Unclear who's going to win. Anything that that? I mean, look, my, my favorite idea for a, a stable coin is gold backed stable coin. So a coin that's actually backed by real gold in a vault somewhere. I think that that would be a good example of a, of a stable coin. I'm, like, I differ with Carl and Tushar on this. We have debates about this all the time. And there's, there's, you know, there's an argument for stable coins. I just think that there's just too many. You sort of, you know, having watched, uh, the, 98 sort of collapse uh, with the you know, black the black shoals model. So the blank there's just too many black swans flying in the distance that that makes stable coins very risky. So they're not really stable, in my opinion. That's why gold. I like gold. Like you know, it's it's a one to one relation. Here's an ounce of gold. Here's a token for it. It's in a vault. You can somewhat trust that maybe there's a small fee on that. I'd be happier with that than an algorithmic uh, stable coin. But it remains to be seen if if they all stand the test of time. I think every coin is a stable coin with respect to itself. Smart contract platforms. 
or anyone trying to compete with Ethereum? I think, I think three to five maximum will be uh, in in production globally in three to five years at scale and at true scale. I don't think it's. I think there's too many in the market. I think there'll be a massive consolidation. A lot of them won't achieve scale. A lot of them won't achieve traction. You can't have a situation where the world is running on two hundred smart contract systems. So it's, it's a handful. Maybe it's ten. Maybe it's fifteen. But it's it's a small number relative to the number that are out there. I think there'll probably be many more than that, and no one will know they exist. I said it's scale. Uh, they no one. There are lots of databases in the world because they all have different purposes, and lots of startups use lots of different databases. For I lots said of it's reasons. scale. <laughs> it, we don't know which applications will work, and therefore, hopefully, users never even know they're running on a smart contract platform, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm guessing they're all switchable to some extent, and whoever invents the killer app can store it wherever they want. They can store the smart contracts on whatever turns out to be the that, that's, that's the crazy the thing security. to me about but, yeah, but, ERC-20 but, coins, is like if any of those actually work at true internet scale, they'll just leave the smart contract platform they're on, because why deal with the inefficiency and the lack of control? Because we're so early on, whoever the winner is in the top two or three or four is going to get everyone else, all the all the guys you're talking about, Flocking to that platform. The guys who can solve the scalability problem primarily, easy to use for developers and, and, and distribution problems, etc. Like, I think that's going to be, I, I just can't see a world where we have all these smart contract systems at scale. You can't have, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think it's going to be a cottage, cottage industry of lots of small guys. I think you're going to have a handful of big guys and maybe lots of small guys afterwards, but I know you guys are running a few minutes. Any of the three utility tokens? Tokenized securities or non-fungible tokens? Anything in those spaces that are that you want to see? I'm excited about non-fungible. Say more. Yeah, um, I just think that the ability to link. Um, yeah, I'm. You know, I used to play Magic the Gathering and Hearthstone. Fortnite and made like three hundred million dollars last Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One day? I'm kidding. <laughs> but but the point is, like those models work. We know they work. The only th- we just haven't gotten this mechanism yeah. in front of enough people because we're not able to leverage the same distribution platforms. Gaming is um, big for. I think tokenized. What was Securities, uh, utility tokens, tokenized securities. You know, I think there are people going after tokenizing homes and real estate and so forth. I think many of the projects I've seen inside of the effort to make that reach the world, the hardest part isn't the crypto part. It's sort of the rest. So a lot of teams are probably, they were able to raise money because of the crypto piece, but that's not the reason why they're going to succeed. So let's call a spade a spade. Uh, the utility token was a moniker used to make sure that a token wasn't under, subject to securities laws. Okay. So there the, the, the isn't space in this world for 5,000 utility tokens. At most, I'm thinking like maybe 50, 100, maybe 150 in that range, maximum. Okay. Like majority of these. I love things, your numbers. I don't know where they come from, but they're great. I, I, I'm looking at a percentage of, of, of total tokens. Like if you look at 5,000 tokens out there. The current percent, world means just because it's, it's on the I think menu, it's all broken. <laughs> yeah. Just because it's on the menu doesn't mean no, no, it. but my point is, it's still the fact is in a 97, usually 99% failure rate, which would mean 50, right? I'm Even saying, if saying, 100% of the companies that we know of today yeah. in crypto go away, I'm still bullish on crypto. I'm bullish on crypto too, but the point is... So like, it's, it's do we need this technology to use said, the world? I said 95%, the, you said 1%. Uh, yeah, I, you, I said 99%. Yeah, I am 99%. Yeah. So in other words, at 5,000 cryptos out there, you're saying 50 will survive, I'm saying 250 will survive. I'm, I, that, in that implication meant there might be 100 more or 1,000 more or 100,000 more that get created later. Oh, that's fine, but I'm saying of the ones today. The ones today are not what I think about, so it doesn't matter. And then security tokens, I think, are, I think it's a, a, you know, that's an interesting space. I think one of the biggest problems in security tokens is going to be – so first of all, the, the, the existing securities like equities, etc. I don't see the value 
in the short term or the big rush to go buy these things not just because it's decentralized except that it opens up markets to foreign markets who can't buy them right now in current exchanges and that's that's going to take time to play out a year two years etc i think security tokens around things like property things that are not liquid today will actually be interesting because now you can buy a piece of a I don't know, a Van Gogh painting or a piece of property, et cetera. And that may have a faster uh, time to market. But all these things are going to take time. It's not going to happen in the next six months. We're looking at 18 months, 24, 36, 48 months before this stuff plays out. Cool. Yeah. I think on the on the NFT stuff, uh, I think that's that's the one of these that I'm the most interested in uh, and curious about. I think it shifts the dynamics of kind of ownership and of publisher relationships so dramatically that you actually need a new concept of what is a publisher. If you're talking about games, you're talking about the issuers who are creating, how do you think about their ownership and the rights and how do they decide to work on such things and issue such things and limit such things? What does a game look like? Right? There's a reason that things like World of Warcraft had secondary markets that they quickly squashed because they didn't want other people to control that. And so now we're entering an NFT world, possibly, where You've got a whole different relationship between publishers, you know, studio publishers and and the end users. So I think there's like a lot of opportunity and a lot it's gonna look a lot different before this all shakes out. Last couple of questions. When do governments step in and say, Hey, we're not gonna be disrupted? <laughs> like you try to preempt some of this, you know, we talked about privacy coins earlier. Like when does it I mean Venezuela today? But when does like the US government or like when it doesn't matter yet to the major governments in terms of wanting to stop. So they will only stop it when it's too late? Or try to. Not when it's too late, but it becomes. How will this all play out? What's your prediction? What's the fiat you use to buy the coffee in ten years? Like that, that's one question. Um, two, I guess people who are trying to evade taxes by the government. Well, that's a, that's the number two use case for crypto: right. tax evasion. Number one is trading. Two, tax evasion. Yeah. So, what's going to happen on the tax evasion side? I don't think people will succeed at that. I think most. Well, it depends what country you're in. USA. I, I don't recommend using crypto for tax evasion because I don't. I don't recommend it. Recommend tax evasion. Period. High IRS. In case you're listening, I, it doesn't. It's not what I would even want to be thinking about. The question of like how you, what you buy a coffee with in ten years. You don't actually know how the phone or credit card in your pocket works today, which you use to buy that coffee. So I don't think it actually will change as a consumer experience. It'll just be more efficient or better yeah, for so other purposes. So, so let's call a spade a spade again. Okay. So in the crypto world, developers or engineers around the world are working for crypto companies or just normal companies get paid in Bitcoin to their address. Okay. So they have a little Bitcoin address on a ledger drive and they don't dictate any of that income and they don't spend it in the country they're in. They go overseas, they go on fancy vacations, they go, they go and spend it, you know, uh, whatever, some sort of visa card or one of those spending cards they can use, swipe it outside the country. The government has no idea that these guys, because think about it this way. If you, if you only say, look, I'm, I'm gonna, do, I've been earning $100,000 a year for so long. I'm gonna keep earning $100,000 a year and anything in excess of that, I'm gonna ask my clients to pay me in crypto onto an address which no one knows about, on a, on a, on a flash drive no one knows about. And when I leave the country, I'll go spend those money. That is the biggest, Tax evade. And that's Let's happening. Hope that's not all crypto is used for. And we find other purposes. It's not all that crypto is useful, but it's a, it's a big part of now when very few people use it. So I know, but, the, but, the, but, but my point is. Put them under their mattress. Like, and they do tax evasion that but way. You don't, but this you, isn't a new idea. You, you don't get into, so, so hold on. Just understand something. The world of money uh, transfers globally 
okay, companies have been transferring money around borders and there's never been a way for developers in foreign I'm from South Africa. There's never been a way for South African developers to get paid by foreign companies at US, awesome. do, at US dollar rates in a way that the government of South Africa doesn't know about it. This is the first time. The government I've, of South Africa should know about it. The, I think yeah, but we they, should. They've never known about it. That's my point. Until now, like, like up to now, they've known about it. We've always had to wire money. Like the laws of the country are there for a reason. I believe in paying taxes. I'm with you. I, believe, I pay a shit I want roads. Taxes. I want schools. I'm with you. So I, I, you I, should have to register that wallet with the government and pay taxes just like everyone else. That, that, that's not there. <laughs> he, he and, would disagree. And we'll get there. We'll get there. Zo- zooming out. It's been a fantastic conversation. Very wide ranging. Where can people follow you guys online? And last sort of non-obvious prediction for the space in the next Three to three to five years. Anything you want to <laughs> anything you want to leave the audience with? You can start with your Twitter handle. A Battalion B A T A L I O N on Twitter. Prediction. My, my answer often to this question is is one we've already kind of talked about, which is scaling doesn't matter. Like users matter, distribution matters, and scale. Once we figure that out, scaling is easy. There's a lot of engineers spending a lot of time building something which they don't know how it will be used yet, and I just think that's often wasted. Effort. I think, I mean, you know, just to continue echoing, I think we're going to see the money use case really matter a lot more over the next three to five years. And I think we're going to continue to see more development and great people flocking to work on that use case. I think it's really important. You can find me on Twitter at DKSF. Awesome. Vinny, plug, plug Civic. Do you guys have a beer vending machine? <laughs> so I'm at Vinny Lingham on Twitter. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to really think three to five years out. I just think that... Um, there will be two to three smart contract <laughs> platforms. It'll be three to four. <laughs> I think that we as a community need to accept that there's, that we live on, we live on planet Earth one. There are some areas where centralization will occur naturally. And so some of these things like smart contract platforms, et cetera. You know, I, I, I want to see a world where money is decentralized, where governments have to, you know, pace the issuance of their currency against things like Bitcoin, because if they don't, it will, you know, inflate against those, those, those cryptocurrencies. So I'm a big fan of censor resistant money, but I think that there are some practicalities that needs to be, you know, money. And uh, Civic is hiring. They're an awesome. Vinny and Jonathan uh, have built an awesome team, and definitely they can find that at Civic.com. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for coming out. Thank awesome. you. Thanks. Thanks.